good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Hope you had a good July 4th weekend or, well, not a weekend. Well, maybe it was a weekend, uh, but it was, uh, it was this week and uh, we had a lot of people out of town last weekend, a few people out of town this weekend celebrating the 4th and uh, God bless America. Amen. All right. Well, it's good to see you guys today. If you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Today we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. So that's Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Also, reach inside of your bulletin, take out your message notes and your connection card. We're going to use both of those in today's message. Now, while you're getting everything set up, let me tell you about where we're going to go. Next Sunday, we're kicking off what I'm calling our main summer series which is called Salt Life. And I'm, I'm really excited about this series. I've been thinking about it really for probably three years now. But this is a, an eight-part series. Now, don't, don't tell the rest of the staff team, but th- this might become like a 10 or 12-part series. But right now, it's an eight-part series through um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. It's, it's only three chapters of the book of Matthew, but it is just a, a packed three chapters. And during this series, we're going to learn about what it really means to follow Jesus and, and how to live in a broken, fallen world. And, and I can't wait to get there next Sunday. So if we're starting a new series next week, that must mean we're wrapping up today's series, which we are, our series, God on Film. And I want to do this with a message called Ant-Man and the Wasp Working Together to Make a Difference. (laughs) Superhero movies, how many of you like them? Raymond, do you like them? Superhero movies? Come on. I mean, it's okay to say if you do. See, Jeff, I knew you liked these movies, but you're back there. I mean, you and Donnie have seen every superhero movie together at least for the last 15 or so years. So I, I know you like them. Um, one of the things that most, and I say most, you know, I emphasize that, one, one of the things that most superheroes have in common is that when, when you look at them, like Captain America or the Hulk or Superman or Pastor Donnie, they just, they, they just look like superheroes. I mean, you, you can look at the Hulk and just tell This guy is not ordinary, but that's not the case with the Ant-Man and the Wasp. They're regular. They're different in that they are regular. They're ordinary. They are small. In fact, they're so ordinary, they almost go completely unnoticed. But here's the tie-in with what we're talking about today. These ordinary not so super superheroes make a huge impact on the world around them. Th- these ordinary people are given a little bit of abilities, and together they make a really big difference in the world around them. Now, I want you to keep that in mind this morning. As we unpack Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through twenty, now l- let me tell you a couple of things about the scripture passage. It's commonly called the Great Commission. Say Great Commission. Great. 
It's the Great Commission. Now, before going back into heaven, Jesus commissioned his disciples. He gives them a mission. And that mission is to take the good news to the whole world. And if you think about it, this is a huge, huge challenge. In fact, some of us, we've been reading the Bible so, so long that when we read a scripture passage like the Great Commission, we're like, oh, yeah, I, I know that. I've, I've got that. I, I don't have to really think through that. But if you'll think through it just a minute, what Jesus is asking his disciples to do is a huge, huge challenge. And I'm sure that while Jesus is giving them this challenge, it seems somewhat overwhelming. And when we start reading through the verses, I'll I'll try to show you a couple of spots where I think Jesus recognizes in their reaction that this is a a huge task for them and, and almost overwhelming. These disciples are not super superheroes. They're not superhuman. They are regular, ordinary people who, for the most part, would just be ignored by the people around them. But like the ant-man and the wasp, God uses this regular group of people to make a difference in the world. In fact, I would say to turn the world upside down. I think that's what he wants to do with us. I'm sure of it. So let's read through this scripture passage and we'll talk more about how to work together to make a difference in the world. Everybody still with me? If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. All right, that sounds good. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. Now, why are there only 11 at this point? Because Judas has betrayed Jesus. Um, Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected from the grave. It's kind of hard to see all of that when you're unpacking Matthew's gospel because Matthew packs a lot into chapter 28. But Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected from the grave. Judas didn't stay around long enough to realize that Jesus was resurrected. He has taken his own life, apparently. So now there's only 11 of these disciples. So they traveled to Galilee to the mountain where the Lord had directed them. See, Jesus met with his disciples for a period of about 40 days before he ascended back into heaven. And so apparently, you know, one of the things he put on... Uh, their agenda was to meet him at this particular mountain. Um, gosh, what's that place called today? I don't remember, but it's still there. I should remember it. I've been there a few times. When they saw him, they worshiped. And Matthew adds this little note that's a little bit confusing, actually. But, but he says, when the disciples saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted, which just means that some were still confused about the resurrection of Jesus. If you're here today or you're listening to this message out on our podcast uh, and you're a seeker or you just have some real questions about the Bible and Jesus and who he was and the resurrection, one of the things I would say to you is that one of the arguments that people will make against the resurrection it is just to say that the, the disciples were hallucinating. 
they just were in this mass hysteria moment and, and Jesus wasn't really resurrected. They just thought they saw something, but they, they didn't really. Well, th- this erases that idea of the resurrection of Jesus just being mass hysteria because there are some of the disciples, some of this larger group of people who've been following Jesus that still have some questions. They still have doubts. Jesus came near to them, which is almost a way of saying he, he called them together in a huddle. It's a football huddle. Anybody else ready for football? <sighs> How many big soccer fans do we have in the room right now? I don't just mean, I played soccer in high school. I was a defensive captain on our soccer team, but I still don't like soccer. I mean, I don't hate it, but I don't watch it. Unless I'm at my in-law's home and, well, then there's nothing else to do, right? So just watch soccer match. I won't say that at the 1115 service because they'll all be in the room, but I'm ready for football. So Jesus, he calls his disciples near. He, he huddles them up and he says, listen, all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. To say in heaven and on earth is just a way of saying everywhere. I have the last word. I'm the authority. So based on that, Jesus can give them this commission. He says, therefore go or go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, there's no one place where the word Trinity is used. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, where it says these are three expressions of one God, but Jesus makes it pretty clear here about the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Go into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, the the disciples had always imagined, even right up to Jesus' death on the cross, they imagined a revolution beginning with Jesus physically alive on earth. I mean, even up to the point where Jesus was arrested, the disciples are waiting for Jesus to come riding up not on a, on a small donkey or a colt, but on a big white horse with some armor on and, and a sword saying, okay, guys, you're my cabinet. You're my war cabinet. Now we're going to start this revolution to overthrow the, the Roman government. And that just never happens. Jesus is saying the revolution is about to begin It's not what you were thinking. It's something different. And this is a worldwide revolution. This is not something that just happens right here in Judea. Jesus makes it clear to us, and, and he was making it very clear to them, that Jesus is not just for a group of religious people living in Judea. But he's for all people. In fact, it's interesting because Matthew was a Jew, who became a Christian. 
a follower of Jesus. And all throughout his gospel, he makes references to the gospel, the good news about Jesus being available to the Gentiles, to, to all people. So Jesus is just affirming one more time in their minds that this gospel is not supposed to just stay here amongst us. It's not just for a group of religious people, but it's for all people. And he can probably see that they're quaking in their boots just a little bit. Maybe they're biting on their fingernails. They're a little bit afraid. I mean, how, how do they do the impossible? How do they... 11 people with no real resources aside from the spiritual ones, aside from the Holy Spirit, aside from the help of the Lord. What do these people have? They don't have mass transportation. They don't have email. They don't have the internet. How are they going to reach the world? And Jesus says, guys, listen, I'm going to be there with you. Not physically, but spiritually. I'll be with you always. Okay, now listen. What you have in Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is the great commission. The co-part means it's Jesus and his body, the church. But we have the what. This is the what the church is supposed to do. Listen, you want to know what your life is about? It's about joining Jesus in the Great Commission. You want to know, know what your purpose in life is, whether you're a fireman or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a stay-at-home mom or you work in construction. Your mission in life is to connect with Jesus in the Great Commission. What it really says is, as you are going in the world, as you're being a doctor, as you're being a fireman, as you're being a lawyer, can you be a lawyer and a Christian? Yeah, I'm kidding. You, you, you can. Listen, lawyers make fun of preachers all the time. We get to make fun of them right back. I'm, if you're a lawyer, I, I'm sorry. But as you are going in the world, be a missionary. Reach people. That's the, the what. Our Role, our purpose, our responsibility as a church is to reach the world for Christ. What I want to focus on for just the next few minutes is the how. How we do this. And I can't tell you everything in one message, but I want to talk about three things that the early church did to make a difference in the world and to turn it upside down. And I'm convinced that these three things alone, if we'll do these three things, then we can make a difference in the community around us and we can save the world. And some of you are looking at me like, okay. So maybe I can get you excited by talking about these three things. How can we make a difference? Three ways that we can make a difference in the world around us. The first one is by transforming the ordinary into the extraordinary. By changing the ordinary into the extra 
ordinary. We must be the kind of church that takes ordinary people and turns them into extraordinary world changers. And there's an example of this in the book of Acts. In fact, the book of Acts in the New Testament really refers to the activities or the workings of the Holy Spirit through the church. And there are some powerful examples of the Lord doing extraordinary things through ordinary men. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, who were leaders in this brand new church, they were a part of the disciples that Jesus has commissioned. And now they're out in the world and they're doing these amazing things. Well, some of the religious leaders have gotten wind of what these men are doing in the world. And so they call John and Peter into the principal's office, so to speak. They want to have a conversation with them. They're going to end up beating them and, and releasing them. But they want to punish these disciples. Listen to Acts 4.13. The members of the council, these are Pharisees and probably a few Sadducees too, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. The Pharisees are professionals. They're the, they're the, they are the theology professors of their day. They're the mega church pastors of their day. I probably shouldn't say that, but they're, they're the experts. And they could see that these disciples are not experts. They also recognize that they are men who have been with Jesus. Now think about this. While there were some religious leaders like, um, well, like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He's, he's a, a professional. Later in the book of Acts, he becomes a believer and makes a huge impact in the world. But at this time, Jesus has not called a, a Pharisee, a scribe, not a single priest or a religious expert to be a part of this group of world changers. And do you want to know why? Well, at least I'll tell you why, why I think it is. It's because those religious leaders were already too safe. The religious leaders of that day, they, they were more interested in managing an old religious system that they had mostly created themselves. They, they were not interested in turning the world upside down. They were just interested in managing and controlling things to keep their, their own status quo going. A lot like our politicians today who go to, go to D.C., to represent the people, and you see this especially in the Senate, and I don't care what label you wear, for the most part, they are people that are interested, it seems to me, who are only interested in themselves and being reelected and keeping their position and their place in government, not in making change, not in working for the people. And that's the way most of these religious people were. So Jesus chose men and women who were naive enough to believe in what he said 
and to believe in the mission that he gave them. That's why he invited prostitutes and tax collectors and fishermen and all sorts of varieties of ordinary people to follow him and then participate with him in doing the extraordinary, the impossible. So look, we have some religious people here today. I mean, I guess if there are religious experts, it's not just the megachurch pastors that would be looked at as the experts. I would probably be lumped into that group as well. Some other religious people in here today. When is the last time, when was the last time that you believed God for something extraordinary? Number two. The second way we can make a difference in the world is by befriending sinners. This is one of my favorites. By befriending sinners. Look at Matthew verses, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It's on the screens behind me or you can just listen along. As Jesus went on from there, Jesus is on this ministry tour. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, the Matthew who is the text collector in this story is the same Matthew who wrote the gospel of Matthew. But he was a tax collector. Verse 10, while he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the house Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Now, let me tell you something. We're all sinners. Can we just say amen to that? We're all sinners. Now, I'm not saying we should celebrate it, but we are. That's that's the reality. So we're all sinners. But listen, the group of people that are gathering up at this house where Jesus is having dinner, reclining for dinner... These sinners are, are notorious. One, one of the, the most vile types of people that ever was in the first century world is a tax collector. And this, this really has very little to do with our IRS. We might not like paying taxes, but... It was a whole different thing. If you were a tax collector in first century Judea, the Romans would choose Jewish people that lived in a community to be the tax collectors because they, they knew where people could hide their money. They knew how the system worked. And the Roman government could say, okay, we want 15% of everyone's income throughout Judea. But they didn't care how much money the tax collector raised as long as they got their 15%. So the tax collector could go through and collect 25%. And to say no or to go against them was to go against the Roman government. I mean, usually these guys would go to collect the taxes with a few Roman soldiers. And so the people knew that, that the, the tax collector, like Matthews, taking their money 
First of all, he's taking it to send the money back to Rome, but then the other 10%, he's putting in his own pocket. He's getting rich off of us. He is a traitor. They hated these people. They were the worst sinners. And the religious people, as you can imagine back then, the, the Pharisees felt like Jesus should in no way be spending time with these kinds of people. They would have never hung out with people like this. If we're being honest, most Christians today feel like most of the Pharisees did back then. Listen to verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> and you, you, can even, you can even hear how they separate the words out, tax collectors and sinners, like the worst sinners and then the regular sinners. When Jesus heard this, now they weren't talking to Jesus. They were talking, the Pharisees were talking to the disciples, but Jesus hears their conversation, which is a little bit spooky, but he hears them. And so he says back to them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. So offensive to these guys. What do you mean go and learn? We know everything. We don't need to be taught anything. Don't, don't speak to us. But I'm, I think Jesus, I think he got a kick out of charging up these guys. Because, man, he, he tweaks them. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. These guys were all about sacrifice. They were all about the ritual of religion. But Jesus said, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And check this out. This is not an isolated incident. Jesus spent a lot of time with people who are far away from God, the sinners. Whether it was tax collectors like Matthew and Zacchaeus or traitors like Matthew or the woman who was caught in adultery and is brought out before Jesus and she's going to be stoned to death because of her sins. Jesus befriended prostitutes and outcasts like the woman at the well in John 4. A, a woman who has been around the block with many men. But make no mistake about it. These are the kinds of people that Jesus came to help. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you opened up your life to someone who was that kind of person? Because mm. the last time I checked, you were that kind of person, and I am too. Sinners who need the forgiveness of Jesus. And then finally... We're going to work together and make a difference in the world. We have to be willing to offend religious people. Okay, this is my favorite, actually. <laughs> be willing to offend religious people. Now, I, I don't mean that we just go out and pick a fight with other Christians or, uh, you know, criticize other churches for the things they do or the things that they don't do. 
I, I don't mean that we should go out and intentionally try to be offensive. But listen, if we're going to make a difference in the world, if we're going to befriend sinners, it's going to offend some religious folks. And this is not anything new. Look at Luke 13, verses 10 through 13. One Sabbath, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent over double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and this woman was untouchable. It was against religious law to touch this woman. You could be punished for touching her. Are you getting the point? I mean, Jesus healed her, and then he touched her. He's making a point of touching this woman. Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God, which is a really big understatement, wouldn't you think? So let me ask you a question. Is this a, a good thing that just happened or a bad thing? Good thing or bad thing? Good thing. Well, it depends on who you ask. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're praising God. This woman has been sick for 18 years. She's been to every witch doctor in Judea trying to get help. No one's been able to help her, and Jesus has healed her. Praise God. But on the other hand, if you're a religious person who's only interested in keeping the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law, then this is a bad thing. Listen to how the religious crowd responded to how Jesus just healed this woman. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the wrong day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd, because to him this was working. Come on those days to be healed. Not on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine that? You should be offended by it. It's offensive. And I'm convinced that the closer we get to the heart of Jesus, the more offensive it is for us to be around overly judgmental, critical, religious people who do not care about people. Listen, we live in a world that's not paying attention to the truths of Scripture. And the reason for that is not because the Bible is no longer relevant. It's not because people no longer believe that there is a designer and creator of the universe. It's not because people no longer need help with their marriage or their other relationships or their finances or raising kids or their addictions. It's not because they don't long for meaning in their lives, it's because Christians who are not sold out to the mission of Christ casually take his name in vain. And listen, we do it to the demise of countless 
numbers of people all over the world. Listen, I I have grown up with kids who love me, love that I'm a pastor, pull for me knowing that I'm a pastor, but still won't come here or any other church because of the way that other Christians have hurt them in the past. Listen, if you're going to be a nasty, mean, cynical Christian, just don't tell anybody you're a Christian. There will be countless numbers of people that spend an eternity in hell because of the way that overly religious people, I don't mean people who love the Lord, I don't mean people who are committed to the truths of Scripture, I mean overly religious people who don't care about people, they, keep, they care about the letter of the law. And that's why this church, Rocky River Church, will never stop telling the truth, even when the truth is hard to hear. We'll never stop loving on people no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done in life, and no matter what's been done to them. We'll never stop dealing with the hard, controversial issues that our society deals with, even if that is, to some, offensive. will be offensive to those who put meaningless ritual before the very people that Jesus Christ, our leader, gave his life for on the cross. We'll be offensive if we need to. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want want to pray and, and end the service this way. Lord, we live in a world that needs to be changed. We recognize as a group of people that we're ordinary, we're we're regular. We're like the disciples, the 11 that you commissioned. But we believe in an an extraordinary God that can do things that we can't even comprehend. So we give our collective self, our church, to you. We put ourselves in your hands and we ask you to do the impossible. And Lord, in the best way we know how, we give you our individual lives. We trust you. We follow you. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today, if you are requesting prayer and you'd like to, uh, for Rock River Church to pray with you, on your connection card, just give us your, your contact information on the back right, the prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Also, just want to encourage you to pray for the flood student ministry while we're at camp this week for our safety and that God uses this incredible way. Rock River Church, we love you. God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. I was feeling that, feeling that breeze.